This film is lit, the podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. Crank up the jazz, pour yourself a gin ricky, and try not to put too much faith in the stock market. We're headed back to the roaring 20s, old sport. It's The Great Gatsby, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. It's September, that means it's time for the wee little ones to be going back to school, and some of us not so little ones on your career path in life (laughs) (laughs) but it's time for back to school so we're doing a back to school classic you voted it was very close we landed on the great gatsby this time i'm sure we'll cover those others in the future but we have every single one of our segments it's an action-packed roaring 20 show so let's get right into it with our summary and let me sum up let me explain There is too much. Let me sum up. In the early 1920s, narrator Nick Carraway arrives in New York City to find work selling bonds. He reunites with his cousin Daisy and her husband Tom, and then later meets his enigmatic neighbor, Jay Gatsby. Gatsby is absurdly wealthy and throws wild, lavish parties, but nobody seems to actually know anything about him. As Nick spends more time with Gatsby, it comes to light that Gatsby previously had a romantic relationship with Daisy. Using Nick as a means to reconnect with her, Gatsby rekindles their romantic relationship. However, it proves harder for Daisy to leave her adulterous husband than Gatsby thought it would be. The tension comes to a head one hot night in the city, and Gatsby and Tom confront each other, and it comes to light that Gatsby built his fortune through illegal means. While driving home, Gatsby's car strikes and kills Tom's mistress, Myrtle, allegedly with Daisy at the wheel. Still convinced that Daisy will leave her husband for him, Gatsby says he'll take the blame. However, the next day, Gatsby is shot dead in his swimming pool by Myrtle's husband. Despite his popularity, only three people attend his funeral, Nick being one of them. All right, and the movie is close enough, so we're going to leave it on that one summary Let's go ahead now and play the game show portion, which doesn't always make an appearance, but it's back this time with lots of questions in Guess Who? Who are you? No one of consequence. I must know. Get used to disappointment. Okay. We do have several Guess Who entries this time. Starting with... She was a slender, worldly girl of about 30 with a solid, sticky bob of red hair and a complexion powdered milky white. Her eyebrows had been plucked and then drawn on again at a more rakish angle. Uh, well, with red hair, um, the only character that has red hair, or woman that has red hair in the movie, I believe, is uh, Myrtle. 
she would be worldly in her 30s sounds right. Uh, that all sounds right for Myrtle. My only other, because Daisy has blonde hair in the movie, and from my memory also does in the book, but I could be wrong about that. Uh, uh, Jordan, the golfer, is, is brunette in the movie. That could be her, I guess. Uh, but I'm going to go with that being Myrtle. You're very close. It's Myrtle's sister, Catherine. Oh, Catherine. Okay. She does have red hair, I yeah. guess. In the, I actually don't remember, but I think she does. Yeah, she has, like, you can kind of see it sticking out from under her cloche hat. Yes. Very fashionable there at the time. He was a blonde, spiritless man, anemic and faintly handsome. Oh, uh, that's so minimal. Um, <laughs> I assume he wouldn't do, there wouldn't be such a sparse description for, say, like, Gatsby or... Uh, I guess it could be Gatsby, but it seems unlikely. The spirit list doesn't seem to attract at all. I, I doubt it would be Tom, based on that. Uh, it could be could be George. Uh, but he's not really. I don't know what he's kind of just dark hair in the movie. Um, I'm trying to think what other characters there are that are important enough. Uh, because I assume Nick wouldn't be describing himself. I'm going to say George. It is George. Oh, goodness. Okay. <laughs> it's the only one I could think of that made any sense mm -hmm. that would have such a short sort of. It helps that there aren't a ton of characters in this. There really I aren't. Think. Yeah, that's the thing I was trying to cut through. I was like, I don't, there's not that many characters, like yeah. named characters. He was a sturdy, straw haired man of 30 with a rather hard mouth. Two shining, arrogant eyes had established dominance over his face. Not even the effeminate swank of his riding clothes could hide the enormous power of that body. He seemed to fill those glistening boots until he strained the top lacing, and you could see a great pack of muscle shifting when his shoulder moved under his thin coat. Well, our introduction to Tom in the movie is him uh, riding his horse, uh, so the writing clothes would make sense. And the rest of that also makes sense from the Tom we get, who is a very much a jock in the film. So I'm going to say that's Tom. Although he has, he says straw haired here. He's got like dark hair in the movie, but I'm still mm -hmm. going to say that that's Tom. That is Tom. Mm -hmm. That was pretty easy. Yeah, the writing clothes really gave it away, yeah. but I couldn't find a way around that. That's fair. She was in the middle 30s and faintly stout, but she carried her surplus flesh sensuously, as some women can. Her face, above a spotted dress of dark blue, contained no facet or gleam of beauty, but there was an immediately perceptible vitality about her, as if the nerves of her body were continually smoldering. This, from my memory, I think this is Myrtle. So I'm going to say Myrtle. Yeah, that is Myrtle. I don't know why I remembered, but in I remembered Myrtle in the book being described as like curvy. <laughs> I don't know why I remember that, but like, I guess uh, standing against all of the rest of the characters who are like incredibly thin, like yeah. 20s, like stick, you know, yeah, that that stuck out to me that she was described differently. I kind of love she carried her surplus flesh sensuously, as some women can. <laughs> yep. It borders on, like, men writing women. Yeah, it does. It does border on it, for But sure. also, I think I'm going to start saying that about myself. <laughs> 
She was a slender, small-breasted girl with an erect carriage, which she accentuated by throwing her body backward at the shoulders like a young cadet. She looked like a good illustration, her chin raised a little, her hair the color of an autumn leaf, her face the same brown tint as the fingerless glove on her knee. Well, this, I would assume, is either Daisy or Jordan. Um, the, the hair the color of an autumn leaf would insinuate a reddish brownish color which jordan's hair is and i i could have swore that in the book daisy had blonde hair but if that's the case we don't have a daisy description which makes me think this has to be daisy (sighs) i'm gonna say this is daisy that's actually jordan frick i should have went with jordan I I thought I thought that that fit for Jordan, but there's actually not really a description of Daisy in the book. There are like parts of her that are occasionally given like adjectives, yeah. But she doesn't have a description like mm. a lot of the other characters do. Okay, well, I'm gonna count that as a correct because I would have gotten that <laughs> right if I if I got that by itself and I wasn't reading ahead to see that there was no description of Daisy or no more female descriptions left, I would have guessed Jordan. But Okay, we'll count that one. My metagame right. <laughs> ruined me there. All right, last one. His tanned skin was drawn attractively tight on his face, and his short hair looked as though it were trimmed every day. I mean, the only character we really have left, because we already got George, uh, it would be Gatsby. Um, or... or uh, I think because he's I don't know if we ever meet him in the book, but he's a character, the 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 bootlegger that Gatsby is in cahoots with uh, whose name I can't recall because it's um, long. Wolfsheim. Wolfsheim. So I'm going to say it's. I'm going to say that that's Gatsby. That is Gatsby. Just because he's got to get his hair. He's rich enough. He can get his hair cut every day. This as close as we really get to a description of Gatsby. It's pretty sparse. Yeah. We don't really learn that much about him from mm-hmm. this description. Uh, Nick does spend like a very long paragraph talking about how great his smile is. Ah. But this is as much of a physical description <laughs> as we get. Fair enough. All right. So I didn't do too bad. I, I missed two of them technically, mm. but I, I would have got. I, yeah, I was close. So whatever. I did okay. Could have done worse. Well, I think you would have gotten Catherine if I had put Myrtle's description ahead of hers. I think so. I actually think I would have gotten. No, actually, I wouldn't have because I wouldn't have remembered Catherine. She's not important enough of a character. She's in yeah. a half a minute of the movie. Like, I would not have. I probably would have gone with Jordan, honestly, at that point. But um, anyways, so I don't think I would have got it. But all that being said, I only miss two. So, not oh, that well, bad. not that bad. All right. I've got a lot more questions. Let's get into them. In was that in the book? Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? So in the film, we're introduced to our narrator of the story, uh, played by Toby Maguire, uh, a one Nick Carraway. And from my memory of having read this book, like I said, back in high school or whatever, uh, I did recall Nick being the narrator from my memory, I thought, but I didn't remember him being in like a sanatorium, which is where he is at the start of the film. Is that 
What ha- from the one is Nick the narrator, and two is he in a sanatorium? So Nick is the narrator. You remembered that, right? There's no indication that I picked up on that he's writing everything down from a sanatorium. And I, I have mixed feelings about that change. I understand the need for a frame story because I don't think that this would work without Nick's narration. Mm-hmm. So we need an excuse to have him narrating the story. But having him be like <laughs> talking to a doctor and then literally writing the book yeah. feels cliche and outdated is he not writing it down or writing is that there's no implication of that at all like the writing it i don't think so in the book okay i couldn't remember i so i didn't know if there is i did not catch it at all i don't think there is in the book it's just more of a like it's just narrated yeah it's just narrated by him like he is like remembering it right but but there's no there's, indication. Yeah, there's no that indication that he's like down. writing this as a as a novel. Okay. Uh, so I'm thinking this is correct based on the character description, but I did not remember this from my reading. And when we're introduced to Tom Buchanan in the movie, he's like hopping off a horse, and he gets inside, and we're walking through his trophy room and all this sort of stuff. And I and he's like this big jock, and he's like ah, like a stereotypical jock. And I did mm-hmm. not recall that being part of his character in the book, but I have forgot almost everything about this book. Uh, And I wanted to know if that version of him in the movie is the characterization from the book. He is. uh, I think the movie does emphasize that a little bit more than the book does. But yeah, he's like your typical rich kid who was an athlete at his rich kid prep school. Okay. Which makes sense because it's, it's the juxtaposition of his old money. Yes. With With uh, Gatsby's Gatsby's new new money. money. Also, Tom, when in this introduction, turns out Tom's a giant racist, or not his introduction, but they're having dinner. I think it's Tom, Daisy, it's, Nick, it's, and Jordan. Yeah. Yes, all having dinner, and uh, this, this, Tom starts going on this diatribe about race, science, and and race mixing, and they're all like mo- moderately annoyed by this. Uh, and I did not recall that at all, but I could be wrong. Is Tom a giant racist? Even more, even for his time, is Tom a giant <laughs> of the 1920s? Is he a giant racist? In the yeah, book? he is. That scene is almost verbatim. Like he starts, he just brings it up. Yeah. And starts going on about how like white people are the master race. Mm. And everybody, everybody is like, okay, sweetie. Great. <laughs> all right. Great. Sit down before You're racist, you hurt yourself. Even for us. Yeah, all right. <laughs> A bunch of white people in the 1920s. Rich white people, Rich white people in, the in the 1920s. 1920s. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I did not remember that. That's interesting. Uh, I will say, because I, you know, like I, I when I, like I, on Wikipedia or whatever, when I was doing research for the movie, like in one of the sections for the book, it talks about themes and or one of the themes mentioned somewhere was race. And. Maybe we can talk about that more, but like obviously it's brought up here and it's brought up again later by Tom. Mm-hmm. Again, just sort of offhandedly saying racist stuff, but it definitely to me at least didn't feel like the movie ever the story ever follows through with it in any way that felt like commentary. Other than yeah. like the guy who's kind of the bad guy, kind of is racist and that's bad. But, like, apart from that, it doesn't feel, at least to me, I didn't feel like it went anywhere. I 
It definitely like comes up similarly in the book. I don't think I would personally call it one of the like main themes of the book, okay. but it definitely is something that comes up. Okay. Uh, there's a line uh, when I, Daisy is talking to, I think, Nick in this moment. I can't remember who about having yeah, a child. Yeah, she's talking to Nick. About if they have a child or something like that. She's the, He asks about her little girl. Yes, because they do have a child. We yeah. just never see that child. In the we movie. don't see her in the movie till like the very end. She yeah, just oh, that's doesn't right. Exist. I forgot because <laughs> I saw the kid at the end. I was like, wait, was there yeah. a time jump where they had a kid? No, they just, they, they had, had a, kid. a kid that we just never. It's just and that's we right. do like we see her a couple times in the book, but not in the movie. She, she talked about once she at the beginning shows and then shows the up end. at the very end, and I was confused by that, but I I do remember now that that's what they were talking about. Uh, and Daisy has this line. Uh, that's the best thing a girl in this world can be a beautiful little fool. And I thought I remembered that line from the mm -hmm. book and I wanted to know if it was from the book. Cause it's a good line. Yeah, that is directly from the book. Um, one of the lines from the book that is like oft dissected. Yes. Uh, and it's also supposedly what Zelda Fitzgerald said after their daughter was born. So we can count that as something else that F Scott cribbed from her. Oh, fair enough. I mean, yeah, there's definitely a lot of um, it's a lot to commentary right within there. that line yeah. about uh, about patriarchy and then women's place in society and the mm -hmm. ways that women, especially in the time period, the easiest ways to succeed and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and was to be beautiful to and, be beautiful and not, to not care that everything sucked. Yeah, and, and to, because um, I think there's even an implication, like a beautiful fool, like, yeah, not care that things sucked, but also even if you do care, like... Or notice to like, because I think you could even read like, especially in Daisy's case, she's aware, but she doesn't speak up about it. Like yeah. she's she sort of uh, holds her tongue in that regard. And I think that you could also read it that way in terms of like, even if you do recognize pretending to be a fool, I guess, like, mm -hmm. you know, pretending to not to notice or or sort of um, not bringing up the the obvious uh inequality and, yeah. and that sort of thing and then obviously a lot more of that but they, yeah a, i said i remember that light or that that line uh speaking of light and the reason i said light and i remember this from the book the green light across the uh, the bay uh what's the green light that's the american dream right from <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay. the green light i think is one of the most recognizable yes elements from this book i feel like that's something that random that people just tend to remember but i think people wouldn't remember the eyes so much if they if weren't wasn't on the cover, on the cover of, the, of books. the book yeah um well I, these aren't the exact to be fair eyes, though i but, well, yeah but i i do remember I, we discussed the sort of symbolism of the eyes at length yeah in high school or whatever i don't remember i mean i remember discussing the light the green light a little bit but not to the same those Life. are, I think those are definitely the two things that like get focused on the most I mean, in your high school English class. Because they are one of those things that's very obvious symbolism that, yes. that it's like very apparent and it's not easy to miss because they recur so often. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, it can only mean... Scott Fitzgerald is here have some symbolism. Yes, it's, it's not subtle symbolism. No. Uh, and 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 we'll talk about whether or not the movie even makes it more overt, specifically in reference to the eyes later. I have a question about that at some mm -hmm. point. I'm pretty sure, but the green light. So sorry, continue about yeah. So yeah, it does tend to get broadly associated with 
the American dream because Gatsby's goal of being with Daisy is basically that like that represents the American yeah. dream, i.e. the dream of becoming wealthy and successful enough to rise up out of your social class. Yeah. Right. Um, in this case, by marrying someone into right. your in in that social class. Uh, so since the green light is literally like a light linking Gatsby to Daisy, yes. it then gets seen as a representation of like, oh, the American dream. Yeah. The green light. Yes. I mean, also, there's some obvious uh, implications um, of it being green. I'm sure there are some technical reasons, maybe at the time of like the, what kind of chemical was burning mm -hmm. to create said light or whatever. But um, there's the very, which I assume this saying, like, the grass is greener on the other side. Yeah. I green like money. Green like money, green of envy, green mm -hmm. with envy. All of those things. Green generally gets applied to greed, envy. Yes. All those sorts of things. And so it, I, that inherently. Yeah, and I, I'm not sure. I don't know if in the book they ever discuss what the light actually is. It's like a little lighthouse beacon thing. In the movie, in the it's movie. like a buoy. Yeah, it's like a buoy Which, floating near the dock. Or and something. green is not a light color that I associate with any of those things. But I don't know. No, but like I said, usually I assume with weird color lights that it's because they were burning. Like I said, some random chemical. Yeah. like it was like a phosphorus or something whatever. that's not used anymore. Yeah, it's not used because it's you know that was just what they had at the time or whatever. But uh, so we get a scene where Nick uh, goes to hang out with Tom at. Uh, Myrtles? No. Yes. It's like an apartment that they keep yeah. where they can go and have their illicit affair. Yes, their affair apartment. Uh, and he <laughs> he encounters Catherine uh, and then some other people. Yeah, who are there's friends. Uh, there's another couple, the McKees. And they all have a raucous partying time. And Nick talks about how it's only a second time drinking. Uh, and it's like the debauchery and the corruption of Nick Carraway. And I didn't recall that scene at all from the book. In my memory, and I wanted to know if that is from the book, because it's interesting. So that scene where they all party is in the book. He does say that it's only his second time drinking. Um, and the idea of him being like kind of corrupted mm -hmm. from this like wholesome Midwestern boy yeah. into like a city dweller a city, a city boy um, a that, city that's boy. not not an element in the book but i do think that's something that the movie plays up and emphasizes especially that party scene in particular yeah i didn't read it as quite so like raucous and debaucherous yeah. in the book Interesting. not quite so yeah uh, so there's a we get to the the big reveal of Gatsby like Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't show up in this movie until like 30 minutes in which mm. makes sense but um, he gets this big reveal uh, where he's talking to Nick and Nick doesn't realize who he's talking to and we're kind of it's like an over the shoulder shot so we only see like the side of Gatsby's face a little bit um, and Nick's talking to him and then we get this big swing camera swing around reveal. And he says, you see, I'm Gatsby. And then we fireworks go off and it's all this big dramatic moment. It's a lot of fun. It's the 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 the, the gif, the meme gif yes. from, from the movie comes from this moment where he, he, he toasts the glass. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, comes from this moment. And I want to know if there's such a dramatic reveal moment for Gatsby in the book. 
because I hope so. <laughs> it's it's similar. I see where the movie got it, but it's not as dramatic as what's in the movie. So what happens in the book is Nick is sitting at a table at a Gatsby party, He's talking to some people, and he mentions that he's been looking for the host all night, but he hasn't been able to find him, to which the man he's talking to responds, oh... I am Gatsby. Okay. So there, like, there's no fireworks or anything. Yeah. Um, but it, but it is like a similar idea. And I, I liked that change in the movie. It's a little silly for sure, um, especially now that we've been memeing it for six years. I had no idea that was where the meme. I didn't. I, I, I didn't, didn't realize that, that was the moment I thought it could either. Have been any moment yeah, it movie, could have been yeah. any moment from one of his parties. But I thought that the movie's version hit a good note of like heightened reality and really further impresses on the audience that Gatsby is this larger than life, almost mythic figure. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it works really well. Again, yeah. apart from uh, setting it apart from the, 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 the meme that it's become, if you if you divorce it from that, I think it works fine. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it is the, the, the conversation is like identical. Um where he's like talking about how he hasn't met the the setup yes. for it is basically yeah the identical. setup is basically the same, it, which Baz Luhrmann is wont to do yes so um, and also as a side note when I read that scene in the book this time all I could think of all I could hear in my head was Christian Bale Batman <laughs> I'm Gatsby <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That that is that would be a good that's a fun SNL skit like digital short. It's a trailer of Gatsby or a trailer for Batman, but played by Gatsby. One of the two. You could go either <laughs> way with it. You could either make it a Batman movie trailer with Gatsby, or you could make it a Gatsby trailer with a Batman type of but Gatsby's like Batman. Either way, I think there's it would be fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Cause you could go through Nolan's films and pull like all the choice quotes. Mm, and rework mm-hmm. them to fit with Gatsby. Mm-hmm. And then just have him doing the Batman voice the whole time for no reason. <laughs> I, I like that. All right. I like that a lot. Uh, so let's go ahead and talk about the old sport. Uh, does Gatsby really say old sport that much? Because I don't remember in the book him saying it like every sentence. Because in this movie, he says, he says it, it like, like every, every sentence. sentence. It's not quite that much in the book. Uh, yeah, not not quite so much. I also, I really didn't care for the way that Leonardo DiCaprio pronounced old sport. Really? I, I felt like he was trying to do an accent, but I couldn't figure out. To me, he's exactly just trying to do what? a little bit of the transatlantic, like the 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 that era's TV, like yeah. movie star accent. Like, but old then I sport. thought, like maybe that's the point. Like he's faking an accent yeah. to sound like he's from somewhere, but, but he's not t- actually from it, and he's bad at it. I think that actually kind of works in that regard. Yeah, because I think it and and it kind of does fall in line with the transatlantic accent, which yeah. wasn't a real accent. It was yeah. it was like a weird mishmash of the like made British up radio and, yeah, accent, like made up radio or t- radio and and uh, yeah. and movie accent, kind of combining British and uh, other elements of other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it works. I think it's I fine. guess it just bugged me because I felt like it mostly showed up when he said old sport. Yeah. Which was like every sentence. That is true. And he does say it literally like every sentence. 
So at one point he's they he takes Nick into his uh, fancy car or no um, and goes speeding mm-hmm. down the road in his fancy car, and uh, he gets pulled up not even pulled over a cop pulls up on a motorcycle while they're flying down the road, <laughs> and Gatsby shows him his ID. Aren't it's not they still even driving? an ID. Yeah, they're still driving. It's like a business it's card. It's like a business card. That just says his name on it. Yeah, he shows him his business card to a, the police officer and then just doesn't get pulled over because of it. And I was like, I do not recall this from the book. That actually is from the book. That happens. That's exactly what happens really? in the book. The only real difference is that in the book, it specifically says that he slows down a little before I mean, showing him the I card. I think he does slow down a little in the movie, but they're still moving pretty good. Yeah. Because they were flying. But yeah, they, <laughs> I did not remember that at all. That's. I honestly, I think the scenes where they're driving, though, might have been my favorite parts of this movie. It is interesting. They do an interesting, yeah, it definitely, they, they, they chose a very distinct look and feel for the driving scenes mm-hmm. um, yeah. that definitely heightens the sort of chaotic uh, nature of the driving. And, and also it, it's all CG uh, yeah. as well, but it also, it kind of works in those scenes. Like it just, it, it, yeah, it looks like hyper it's this real, weird hyper realistic look that, that, that works because it is almost like this. Cause there's a big thing in the book from my memory of the, that drive from through the ash, through whatever it's called. Um, Oh, the, the, the city of ashes, city of it, Valley, the, the of val- the ashes. Valley of the ashes. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And, and they drive through there a lot and it, and it's definitely this, it's sort of this symbolic journey from the old money to the new money mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing. Yeah. It's and like a no man's the, land, through in the between. no man's land in between and that sort of thing. And, uh, and so kind of heightening it into this weird hyper-realistic, like, I don't even know how to describe it. It is really interesting, and I think it does work. It was one of my – I, I agree. It was also one of my sort of favorite things they did in the movie. And I was trying to think if it reminded me of anything else. Like, it reminds me of anything. If of anything, it reminds me of watching, like, pod racing in, like, the Star Wars movie, like, mm. <laughs> like episode one or something <laughs> like that. Uh, I don't know. It was – yeah, it was interesting. I did not know, uh, did not know though, that that just still driving, showing yeah. his card, like, I'm Gatsby. Get out of here. <laughs> Uh, afterwards they go to lunch and they go to this sweet underground jazz club, uh, that is, cause this is in, in prohibition obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go to this like underground speakeasy kind of place and it's this cool club and they meet, I think Tom's there. Yeah. yeah everybody's there yeah. basically, except for, I don't think Daisy's there. Um, well, I think it's like a men's club. It's like club. a men's club. Yeah. There are some showgirls there. Right. Uh, and anyways, I thought that was interesting. And it's also, uh, there's a lot of, um, black people in this club because it is like a, an underground jazz mm-hmm. club. And I, I assume that I, I want to know if any of this element of this club, cause it was, it wasn't a scene that I recalled. Not yeah. a lot happens here. I'm trying to remember what even does happen. Here oh, that's where they have the conversation with Wolfsheim. Yes. Where they meet him. Yes. Uh, is any of that from the book? Gatsby does take Nick to lunch. The book says that the club is in a 42nd Street cellar, so it could have been like an underground yeah. type of club, but it's not specifically mentioned. They don't like go through a barber shop and have like, like they have to like knock on the wall and yeah. like give a password or whatever yeah. in the movie. So there's none of that. Uh, but I, I did think that was 
interesting. I liked that change. I thought it made sense to make it basically like a speakeasy. Yeah. I, I think that's something that people coming to see a movie set in the 1920s will be expecting to see. So it makes sense to just put it in there. It also makes sense, yeah, attaching it to Wolfsheim's character, who yeah. is that he, that he is a, a bootlegger and yes. that sort of thing. So having him be hanging out in a, <laughs> a bootlegging establishment seems reasonable. <laughs> seems reasonable. So they, they set up this mystery. We get the, the backstory of how Gatsby and Daisy were in a relationship at one point and the, the, they, they broke up and she ends up getting married to Tom. And we get this set up in this moment kind of early in the, you know, around the end of Act One or something where we're getting a reciting, we're, we're getting information from the letter that Gatsby wrote Daisy. Mm-hmm. But and he he says something to her, but we don't find out what it was that he said in the letter, and then that kind of trails off, and we find out later. But I want to know if that like mystery of the letter and like what was said and what happened is from the book, or if that's like a movie drama added. Yes, so we do find out that Daisy received a letter from Gatsby on the eve of her wedding. Uh, drank herself into a stupor yelling that she'd changed her mind yeah um and then goes ahead and gets married to tom uh i I don't think we ever find out what was actually in the letter though i tried to go back and flip through and look and i couldn't find like that specific scene from the movie yeah and i could be misremembering that but i think that the movie may have kind of borrowed that from fitzgerald's own life yeah because we know that uh he did like ask Zelda to like, he was like, Oh, I don't have any money, but will you wait, wait for, for me? me yeah. Which is basically, basically what, what we he, find out was yeah, in the letter that letter, Gatsby yeah. wrote. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So then, uh, he Gatsby wants Nick to invite Daisy over to have tea. Uh, and they're going to have tea at, at, at Nick's house in his, um, his, he lives in like a very small little, like it's like the service yeah, like a little house cottage. or something like that in between right next to Gatsby's. And, um, he's inviting Daisy over. And when we get there in the movie, the, the house is just packed with flowers. Like there's so many flowers everywhere. And we get this very comical reveal of them, like standing in the middle and there's just flop like flowers everywhere. And mm-hmm. Gatsby marches all of his servants over with like food and stuff in the rain uh, and I wanted to know if that weird sort of because he's he's obviously trying to put on this grand show for Daisy. Yes. And it turns into this weird absurdity in the framing of Nick's house. And I wanted to know if that's from the book. I think we can assume that that's what the house would look like. The text says a greenhouse oh. arrived from Gatsby's. Okay. Uh, there wasn't any indication that he brought a bunch of food. But he also does have them mow the lawn in the rain. So that's also from the book. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, the greenhouse erection, that implies, yeah, just yeah. flowers and stuff all, all over the place. Okay. Uh, speaking of, so once Daisy shows up, Gatsby c- becomes just a giant clumsy oaf and is, like, knocking things over and stuff. And it's a very movie joke moment. Like, it plays like something right out of a film. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this moment when he when Daisy shows up and he breaks the clock on the mantle. And I want to know if that came from the book because I didn't remember that. Yes, it does. Right down to him knocking the clock off the mantle. It's all from the book. Yeah. This, uh, I did enjoy that whole little lunch scene. I mm-hmm. thought it was very funny, like well handled comically. Um, 
and the absurdity of like all the flowers and everything and Gatsby running out and then coming. Does he do yeah. that? Does he leave yeah, and he come does. back? Yeah, he does. He leaves and comes back. Okay, because I didn't remember that and I thought that was really, he shows up at the front door and he's like covered in rain because he ran out, but then he ended up coming back. Ah, the whole sun scene is fun um, and apparently from the book. Uh, then we kind of get a montage of them rekindling their relationship and at one point she, she comes over to Gatsby's house and we get this big scene of him walking around talking about all the clothes he has and he's like throwing she's like sitting on his bed and he's like throwing literally showering his wealth onto Daisy uh, literally actually ultimately kind of suffocating and crushing her with it which obviously is not subtle but I wanted <laughs> to know if that moment of you know that sort of triumphant um, pouring of wealth onto Daisy now that Gatsby has you know made it mm -hmm. came from the book um, that's not quite as literal in the book. He's not showering his shirts down onto her. <laughs> yeah. But he does show her around the house after they have tea. And he shows off, like, all of his rooms and possessions, including his huge collection of fine shirts. Okay. And she does start crying over it all. She's, like, overwhelmed. Yeah. Uh, and I actually really liked that change. I thought it was another thing that was appropriately yeah. heightened from what the book gives us. Yeah, and I think the 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 uh, kind of on the nose symbolism fits in well with yeah what we get in Gatsby, which is a lot of kind of on the kind nose of on symbolism. the nose symbolism, which is why it's taught you know in middle school and high school, which is funny because it's the the symbolism's on the nose, but thematically, I think the messaging of Gatsby's way more nuanced. Like it's it's yeah, it, it absolutely it's like is. it's a little yeah. bit more like nuanced and sort of hard to like grasp mm -hmm. at that age. The symbolism is like very again, it's like it's a green light. It represents the American dream and how it's unattainable. It's always yeah. across the bay. Blah blah blah. That also represents David. Like oh, the eyes, the eyes of God. Why? Blah blah blah. Like it's. It's cut like easy to talk about what the symbolism is, but it's I feel like it's much harder to discuss like what it actually means. Yeah. Compared to some other things that we've talked about. I don't know. It's it, I thought that was really interesting upon rewatch this time of like there's a lot going on thematically and it is easy to kind of point it out. But I don't know how easy it is to discuss it. How easy it would be to discuss it in a high school setting because there's so much like context I feel yes. like you need well and here we arrive with at something that I don't think we've ever talked about on this show which at this point is rare I and then this is not a unique opinion I acknowledge that I believe very firmly that literature should be taught concurrently with history yeah that that is a like a big I mean like, it makes teacher a lot of platform yeah. of mine if you're reading a book from the 1920s in your literature class, you should be learning about the 1920s in your history class. Right. And I think that does happen sometimes. It happens like, sometimes. Sometimes it lines up. I always noticed when it lined up yeah. in school. But it's not, I mean, unless you're in with the history teacher, it's not built into the curriculum. Yeah. And I think it should be. Yeah. The other thing I remember is that usually the you know the the your English teacher or whatever would would try, 
to yeah. give like a quick sort of right but it needs to be more than that and it needs to be something in my opinion that is not the responsibility of just one teacher yeah because it's too much to cover and there is like there's so much context yeah. here that if you're missing that context you're really missing the themes and the message like yeah. you said yeah yeah, it, absolutely. And it is uh, obviously the movie tries to then up, I think, by nature of some of the changes the movie makes in regards to using modern music, which I'm still not sure how much of a fan <laughs> I was of, which we'll talk about maybe more later. But like using modern music and, and turning it and and like some of the heightened um, heightening of all this stuff sort of it was an it was a clearly the intent was to uh, update it and make it more applicable to a modern audience. Mm. And I think a lot of the themes still work. It's, it is interesting. Cause I, it, the thing that's interesting about this movie is that comparing it to something like Boz Lerman's Romeo and Juliet, where he takes all of the dialogue and everything and keeps it exactly the same, yes. but just makes the setting a modern one. Yes. Whereas this and like movie, a very stylized, a stylized modern, modern, one, yeah. modern one, but essentially a modern setting. Whereas this movie keeps it in the period and keeps the dialogue. This doesn't really update anything other than a little bit of like the 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 the, the like gilding around the edges again, like mm -hmm. the soundtrack and stuff. I thought was I don't know. I, I actually think it would have been I would have been more interested to see this movie done if Boslerman had done what he did to Romeo and Juliet with it, I think maybe would have been more interesting, like, like something truly really, updated really, really it. Like stylized. just do, the, cause I think you could just do the great Gatsby set in 2008 or whatever, or like yeah. set in like the market recession or like before, you know, like yeah. post nine 11. But like in that time period, I feel like there's a very similar parallels you could pull and do a very similar thing. And do, I mean, do the story, but do it in. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I just it's interesting. Anyways, uh, we got a lot more to talk about. So uh, bu -bu -bu -bum. Uh, we get these recurring mysterious phone calls in the movie where Gatsby always gets a call and he goes off into the background to kind of like talk to somebody that we never see. Eventually, we figure out it's Wolfsheim and it's, it's his it's his uh, shady his business. shady business dealings. <laughs> But do we get that in the book, that recurring, like, what's Gatsby up to? Because the movie, I feel like, plays it a little more, like... You, it's I a mean, little it, sinister. It's a, it plays a little sinister, and I'm, I, I kind of knew. I was like, well, I'm pretty sure it's just, like, his business dealings or whatever. But, mm -hmm. like, the movie kind of plays it sinister, and it never goes anywhere. And I want to know if the movie or the book set up that similar kind of, like, ooh, mystery. Um, So the phone calls, that happens once or twice throughout the book but it is definitely something that the movie takes and runs with okay uh so then we have this big dramatic lunch where gatsby's like all right they've been her and him and daisy have been having an affair of some caliber for a while now and uh he wants her to reveal to tom this is his big triumph you know mm -hmm. reveal she has to tell tom that she doesn't love him and that uh she wants to be with gatsby um, and this is this is Gatsby needs this for himself. Um, <laughs> yes, Gatsby's ego needs this. Desperately needs this to happen. Uh, and it's this big a, a affair, um, and a big to do. But Daisy can't do it at first, but then she does. But it's all at the 
pressuring of Gatsby, and it's all very uncomfortable. And <laughs> Nick is just sitting there like he is way <laughs> too good of a sport for yeah, this kind right. of like. Maybe that's why Gatsby calls him old sport all the time because he's just he is way too good at just sitting there for the really awkward, horrifying conversations yeah. and just like kind of taking it in. Uh, him and Jordan both. Um, no, I have a note later down in my like general notes that was uh, an alternate title for this book could be my extremely messy rich friends and how I was their third wheel all summer. <laughs> yeah. For real. Because that's basically Nick's summer. Yep. It really is. It really is. Uh, it's anyways, that big, uh, the big messy lunch scene. Is that from the book? Yes. That scene is like nearly verbatim from yeah. the book. Okay. Because I did, I didn't, I didn't recall. And I did really like the way the, what it, what it belies in Gatsby's character, mm-hmm. the way he keeps pressuring her and how she yeah. has to say it and how he need like reinf- reiterating and reinforcing the, you know, the, the very clear um, sort of picture we've gotten of Gatsby at this point, which who, who starts at as sort of this like um, triumphant, victorious, idealized American dream character. But then the sort of layers get peeled away and it's revealed that it's all one. It's kind of built on a lie in the sense of like, mm-hmm. he's a, it's not really, that could be discussed. It's built on as much of a lie as any other millionaire, you know, super yeah. wealthy person. And and I think that's also kind of the point. But but it is all kind of built on a lie. But also on top of that, that that none of that was the actual goal. Like none of the wealth, none of the the actual stuff that he has was any meant anything to him. It was yeah, all, it's a means to an end. Means to an end, and that end isn't even Daisy because he has her here. Yes. He, but he it's not even having Daisy. It's having the the victory over Tom and over right. the people who yeah, told the, him the that, victory over that old money elite. Yeah. Who kept him from having what he wanted in the first place, essentially. Yeah. And that. And yeah, and to the point where, it, again, it's, you know, to an outsider's view, it's like, or, you know, and to Nick at first, I think, like, he, he thinks this is all for Daisy, but he, Gatsby literally blows up <laughs> everything he has because yeah. he has to, ha- including his yeah. Daisy at this point, because he has to have that moment of, of yeah. victory. Yeah, he. it's not enough for him that he is absurdly wealthy, and it's not enough for him that he does have Daisy who, who started this, this moment. Whole thing, yeah. yeah. He needs that exterior, that external validation. validation. Yeah. His ego requires it. Yeah. Cause I mean that, that ultimately is what kind of boils down to the whole thing, you know, and Gatsby's tragic flaw and the tragedy of Gatsby is his ego yeah, and his vanity, not even vanity necessarily, but ego um, and desperate, need and desire to be seen as embodying you know the american dream not that he doesn't even need to achieve the american dream because he has it in this moment he has the money he has daisy like you said but it's not even that he has to be seen as having the american dream he has or not even that he has to have the american dream it's that he has to be seen as having conquered the american yes. dream <laughs> yeah he has to win he has to Gatsby win yeah. does yeah and that's not a unique uh character flaw in 
so many of the greatest <laughs> uh, villains and uh, heroes in literary and no. uh, and film history have that has been you know their flaw. But it is, I think, particularly well done in this story. Uh, and that scene in the movie, I thought, was really well handled. Uh, Gatsby's pink suit, because Tom has a real fascination with the pink suit. He keeps mentioning that Gatsby's in his pink suit. Mm-hmm. And he's, anyways, yes. I want to know if that Yes, it is. Book. In the book, Tom does mention Gatsby's pink suit several times. And I had to look this one up. According to the internet, at the time, pink had major class connotations. It's not a color that men who came from money Mm, would have worn, so it outs Gatsby as being one of the gauche nouveau riche. Okay. Which is kind of interesting because now pink menswear is something that I kind of associate with, like, the preppy country club types. Yeah. Like your pink polo and your boat shoes on your yacht. right. Uh, but I think this is a good example of what we were talking about earlier, where you really need that historical context, because I think a lot of modern readers are going to interpret this as Tom attacking Gatsby's masculinity. But that association didn't exist yet. But I think the movie does imply that because I swear and I don't remember, I don't have it written down, but I swear they're associated with one of the times when he comments on the pink suit. He has a line about it being... I don't know the word he uses, but I swear he in the movie, he uses a word to describe Gatsby in his pink suit like flamboyant or something like that. He says it in a way, a word that especially to modern audiences, which if it's not from the book, the movie very specifically added that would imply to modern audiences that that it is like a masculinity thing that he's implying that he's he's gay or something like that or or again, attacking his masculinity. Um, and I thought the movie had a line that also tied it to that, but I, mean, I could be wrong about that. I would have to know exactly what the yeah, line was to be able to look it up. I didn't write down specifically. But it also wouldn't surprise me that the movie would understand that the implication that the book is giving us would be lost on a modern audience so and would just kind of lean into it. that. Yeah. Adapting it into the, the ma- attack on his masculinity. Yeah. Which I think also leads into some more stuff we're going to talk about eventually um, and, and some of the lenses you can view this movie and read this story through, which mm-hmm. I thought this was something that this movie in particular leaned into at times. Yes. Uh, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Gatsby and uh, Tom have this big dramatic confrontation. Um, I don't remember when this happens exactly. Is this when they he goes to punch him, I think? Yeah, that's right before that. No, that's later. That's later. So I don't know what I don't know what this confrontation is, but Gatsby yells at him, "Your wife doesn't love you; she loves me." Um, and it's this big dramatic confrontation. And I didn't remember that scene. Uh, it's kind of similar. Um, a lot of the lines are the same. I think the movie captures the mood of that whole like kind of portion of the film pretty well. Yeah. No, actually, this might just be during the lunch still. I, I can't remember I if that is. happens during the lunch. I think it is, because or... I don't think they've left ever, anything yet. I think, because I, I think all my notes are still during that. I also definitely have the wrong page number in there, because that happens way later in the book. They're at the hotel when this scene happens. In the book. I don't remember the yes. name of the hotel. I don't remember, because they... 
they start out, they're having lunch at Tom and Daisy's. Yeah. And then Daisy, like, freaks out, and she's like, let's go downtown. Yeah. Let's go downtown. So they go downtown, and they end up, like, at a hotel. Like, yeah. Just hanging out. Yeah. And then they come back to the yeah. house at one point. But, yeah. So this might be happening at the second time back at the house. I don't remember. No, because the, when they leave the hotel, that's when the car accident happens. I thought they were... I, Okay, that I guess that's possible. In my head, they went to they went somewhere and then they came back because I thought they were in the same room when she storms out and then the car accident happens. I thought they were in the same room that they were in from the lunch from earlier. I think it's just a similar looking okay. room. I don't know. It's, <laughs> uh, fair. It doesn't really matter <laughs> the exact location, but yeah. Your wife doesn't love you, said Gatsby quietly. She's never loved you. She loves me. You must be crazy, exclaimed Tom automatically. Gatsby sprang to his feet, livid with excitement. She never loved you, do you hear? She cried. He cried. She only married you because I was poor and she was tired of waiting for me. It was a terrible mistake, but in her heart, she never loved anyone except me. Mm. At that point, Jordan and I tried to go. (laughs) 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 Welp. Looks like it's about that time. <laughs> uh, something from this scene that the movie cut is another racist moment for Tom. I don't think they do. I think they leave this in. I remember Are you this. Sure? I remembered this in the movie. Reading reading your description here, I remember this line in the movie. I didn't catch it then. I, I'm pretty sure it's, it is. Yeah, he says, uh, I suppose the latest thing is to sit back and let Mr. Nobody from Nowhere make love to your wife. Well, if that's the idea, you can count me out. Nowadays, people begin by sneering at family life and family institutions, and next they'll throw everything overboard and have intermarriage between black and white. That exact line is in the movie, 100%. Because I remember the whole st- sneering at family then. and family values. Or like it's he's, Tom is yeah, very much Yeah, people the, are still freaking saying that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tom is the embodiment of every right-wing, like, yeah, yeah moneyed, um, conservative, you know, person and... The, the lines have not like the, and it, the talking great, points though, have not changed. No, it, it's a but it's a great example of how this type of person will slippery slope their arguments out of nowhere. Yeah. Like, oh, if we let the classes intermingle, next thing you know, they'll be letting the races intermingle too. Like, yeah. My guy, we were not even talking <laughs> about that. Yep. <laughs> but go off, I guess. <laughs> Thanks for outing yourself, although they all knew already, but <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I, so speaking of that, uh, you know, because Gatsby goes off and on, often yelling about how she's never loved anybody except for Gatsby. And then she's like, no, actually, I did love Tom at one point. And this yeah. like screws everything up for Gatsby and like is really what pushes him over the edge. Does that, does she say that in the book? Does that come from the book that her telling Gatsby, no, actually, I did love Tom at one point? Yeah, that scene is, again, almost verbatim. Yeah. Uh, And I do think it's kind of like, yeah, that is like a point where we see things start to really, really turn. Yeah. Because Gatsby has idealized Daisy. absolutely. To an incredible point to that when she responds to this very tense, difficult situation that he's put her in yeah. in an incredibly human and understandable way. Yeah. Cause I would lose my mind in that situation too. I'd be like, stop talking to me. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to talk to you, um, but he can't handle it. Yeah. She reacts like a human being. Yeah. But that's not what he has in his mind. No. 
Absolutely. Uh, and then Tom reveals that Gatsby's a bootlegger and a bond trader and all of these things that, you know, he sees very as sort unsavory. of unsavory ways to have acquired his wealth, whereas he did it the right way of being born to rich parents. <laughs> Is that yeah. is, is, is Tom reveal that all to everybody in the in the book? Definitely the bootlegging. Bond trader specifically is something that the movie added, but the book does say that Tom found out that there's something even bigger going on that people are afraid to talk to him about. Mm. So I think it makes sense to just put in Bond trader there cuz we've already talked about it. Yeah, I mean cuz that's what Nick does. Yeah. Basically. Uh, and then Gatsby, during this big confrontation, he grabs Tom and is about to punch him or kiss him. And I couldn't tell which. We'll talk more about that later. Uh, does that does that physical confrontation happen in the book? That does not happen in the book. And I got to be honest, I didn't particularly care for it as yeah. an addition to that scene. I, like to me, it felt a little like on the nose and like too much. Yeah, I I only liked it in the way it was portrayed because it felt the reason I wrote the note, he's about to punch him or kiss him, wasn't just like a joke. Like there's an interesting energy <laughs> in that moment <laughs> in the movie that felt very intentional to me based on some of the other stuff. And we'll talk about it. Um, but I, yeah, because it, it, I, I don't disagree that it doesn't necessarily, f it feels a little on the nose, but. <laughs> And then every, they storm out. Uh, Daisy storms out. Uh, Gatsby chases after, and this is, leads to the accident. And then uh, it cuts to Tom or Nick, and Nick says, "I just remembered today's my birthday." And then Tom just looks at him like, what "The fuck is wrong with you?" And I loved that moment in the movie, and I wanted to know if that was from the book because that's great comedic timing by Nick if, <laughs> and Tom, for that matter, if it is from the book. So Nick does randomly say that it's his birthday at the end of that scene. Okay. But we don't get a, Any, reaction, a reaction from Tom. From but but I did like that yeah. in the movie. In the book, we just get Nick then some ennui about like yeah. turning 30. Right. I'm turning 30. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my stupid friend. A decade of loneliness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, they said that in the movie, and I was like, thanks. <laughs> yep, right. Uh, this, I got to talk about. So we, we, we're, we're setting up to the accident where Myrtle gets hit by the car. And at this point, of George and Myrtle are having a fight. We cut to them having a fight because he now is aware that she's been cheating on him or whatever. Um, and he's yelling at Myrtle, and he yells at her. You might fool me, but you don't fool God. God sees everything. And we get like a cut of the freaking the, 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 the doctor, the optometrist yeah. billboard. And I was like, does the oh, OK, because I want to know if that was from the book specifically, because it's like the 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 symbolism is not subtle already. And then for the movie to be like, God sees everything show billboard of those giant eyes watching over uh the 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 valley of ashes or whatever and i was like okay is that line from the book is the book that unsubtle so we don't see this happen like we do in the movie but we find out later that yes this is something that george said to myrtle okay I can find it real quick because there is something about the eyes. Oh, is there? In that moment. I okay. just have to find it. 
I spoke to her, he muttered after a long silence. I told her she might fool me, but she couldn't fool God. I took her to the window. With an effort, he got up and walked to the rear window and leaned with his face pressed against it. And I said, God knows what you've been doing, everything you've been doing. You may fool me, but you can't fool God. Behind him, McAllis saw with a shock that he was looking at the eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg, which had just emerged pale and enormous from the dissolving night. God sees everything, repeated Wilson. That's an advertisement, McAllis <laughs> assured him. That's good. That's funny. That's funny. So, like, <laughs> so no, exactly. I mean, that's exactly the moment from the movie yeah, that we see. And it, and, it, like, and it, it is, is as unsubtle. It as, is as unsubtle, but then Fitzgerald like acknowledges how, right, unsubtle, yeah, how unsubtle it is. It is. Like he does at least make a joke about it. Um, I will say that, and I don't know if we have a, a point at anywhere where you were going to talk about the whole the eyes thing, but I that to me that's some symbolism that just doesn't work for me, and I mm-hmm. don't get what it's trying to say. Do you have um, any? You know what I mean? Like I get, I don't know. I I cause I don't. I guess part of it would be like I don't know enough about F. Scott Fitzgerald's like sort of philosophical th- theological views, if that has anything to do with it, or 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 like what what those eyes in the context of this story and the, the idea that, that that's sort of the, you know, um, an omniscient being like God watching all things or whatever. Um, like what that actually means in, in context here. Um, cause it's not something I've ever really thought. Of. I, we talked about it in high school and I was like, I don't, this is boring. I don't care. This I mean, I, this symbolism. is just me talking like off the cuff. Uh-huh. I didn't do any, like I didn't bone up on the eyes of Dr. TJ Eckelberg. <laughs> Before this episode, because I didn't have anything about it in my notes. Yeah. Um. I personally, like, similar to you, I find it kind of uninteresting. Yeah. As as a piece of symbolism, I find the green light more interesting. Mm, yeah, more interesting than this. I think that the idea with like, and I don't even know that it's necessarily like. God in like the American Christian sense right. of God. Yes, I, yeah. But I think it speaks to maybe Fitzgerald's kind of disillusionment with the mood of the 1920s. Yeah. And kind of because the 1920s were this kind of like, you know, everybody was struggling to figure out what the meaning was. Yeah. And it resulted in this kind of very like loose moraled period of history. Um, so I, I think, you know, what we're meant to get out of this is maybe this idea that like it actually does matter what mm-hmm. you do. Yeah. Like what the actions that you take might feel meaningless to you, but somebody sees them and they have an effect on somebody. Yeah. Uh, I just did a quick, uh, went to a quick spark notes here. A little Gotta <laughs> love spark notes. Uh, the eyes of Dr. TJ Eckelberg. Uh, this is there from their symbols and themes um, section. Uh, they may represent God staring down upon and judging American society as a moral wasteland. The novel, novel never makes this point explicitly. Instead, throughout the novel, Fitzgerald suggests that symbols only have meaning because characters instill them with meaning. Uh, the connection between the eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg and God exists only in George Wilson's grief-stricken mind. 
This lack of concrete significance contributes to the unsettling nature of the image. Thus, the eyes also come to represent the essential meaninglessness of the world and the arbitrariness, arbitrariness, yeah, uh, of the mental process by which people invest objects with meaning. Nick explores these ideas in chapter eight when he imagines Gatsby's final thoughts as a depressed consideration of the emptiness of symbols and dreams. So, I feel like I hit. Pretty, you hit some I of those points. Pretty yeah. close there. Yeah, pretty good. Um, Still got it. You did pretty good there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's fair. Uh, I yeah, no, that totally tracks. Um, uh, the, the the reveal that Daisy was the one driving the car that hit Myrtle, at least according to Jay Gatsby, uh, is that. And I remember that from the book, so I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure that that like twist of like, oh, actually Daisy was driving. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that, d- that is the, the twist in the book. And is it implied that that's actually the truth in the book, or is it? Because in the movie, it's vague enough that you could assume that maybe Gatsby was lying. I mean, we see the events in the mm-hmm. movie eventually and see. But again, we're getting that as like a a recall from Gatsby's yeah. sort of description of the events. You know, I it is kind of vague. And I think it's interesting in that you could definitely read it either way. Yeah. Like, yes, she was driving or no, she wasn't. And he's just making that up. Yeah. But I I don't think there that there's any reason to think that he would be lying in that moment. No, like I like just talking to Nick afterwards. Yeah, I mean maybe because I think you could also make the argument that he's like a compulsive liar. Yeah, but I don't I don't think there's any like like solid like concrete like plot reason no. for him to be lying no about and i that. also think thematically it makes the most sense that daisy is driving because mm-hmm. it ties in with this idea that this monster he's created has gotten out of control and like again sort of losing the reins on yeah. on the 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 this, the, the dream that this daisy this this sort of idealized creature that he has created in his mind he sort of loses the reins on it and gets out of his control literally mm-hmm. um i think makes more sense thematically that she would be driving than him um and that it's it, it turns it even more tragic too because then nick is killed because or not nick um gatsby gets killed because of yeah. you know because of that but it's actually but it is his fault like he's the one who drove her to you know like his actions and his insistence of her validating his ego is what led her to have this breakdown and storm out. And, but then, you know, it's, so I think it, it totally makes it, she was the one driving if for no other reason than thematically, it makes the most <laughs> sense. But I did wonder if that was like a confirmed thing or um, whatever. Uh, the last thing Nick says to Gatsby before he, he has to go to, you know, he's heading out. Uh, he says, you're worth the whole damn lot of them put together. Or, and he says a couple other things, but mm-hmm. that's like the the vague, like last line, um, and I, I I had a memory of that being from the book, but yeah, that is is from that the like book. their last conversation? Yes. Okay. And then he says he was glad that he said it. Yeah. Uh, so then at the big the when Gatsby gets murdered at the end uh, by George. Uh, he's getting out of the pool and he's waiting for Daisy to call because he thinks Daisy will call and they'll run away together or whatever. Um, that once she calms down, she'll call the next morning and things will be fine. And as he's getting out of the pool in the movie, the phone starts ringing and we see the, we get it cut together in a way where it becomes clear that the person calling in that moment actually is Nick Mm -hmm. and not Daisy. Um, but 
Gatsby has this moment of he doesn't know that he hears their phone ringing, turns and the guy he hears his butler or whatever say he'll be Gatsby will be very happy you called. And mm-hmm. he like kind of smiles and then he gets shot and killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to know if that that moment, that like last moment of happiness for Gatsby because he thinks Daisy did call, but then it turns out it was actually Nick, that sort of bait and switch, if any of that comes from the book. Though there's there's no implication at the end that anyone was calling Gatsby when he was shot. Okay. Wilson just shoots him when he's floating in the pool right. and then commits suicide. Yeah. I didn't mind this change, though. I thought it was an interesting, like, bait and switch. Yeah. I hated it initially because I thought it was going to actually be Daisy. Yeah. But then it was Nick, and I was like, oh, okay, I like yeah. that. Yeah, and I just thought it was interesting because it's like gives him false hope or real hope because actually Gatsby was secretly in love with Nick the whole time and Nick was clearly in love with him. I feel like, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like. We'll talk about that more here in just a second because that was my last question for was that in the book? But I've got one in Lost in Adaptation. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. Wow, was a lost. Yes, yes, and I want to get unlost as soon as possible. So so my only question here is, does Nick want to be Gatsby or does he want to fuck Gatsby? Because it's one of the two. I get the vibe that Nick is supposed to be. There's m- multiple lines throughout the course mm. of the movie and several, like, the ways things are shot. Yes, and the there way, are some visual cues. There's some visual cues and the way uh, looks linger and that sort of thing. There are some definite... Um, there's some definite things that point to the idea that Nick may be gay or you know, bisexual mm-hmm. or whatever, into men, shall we say, mm-hmm. and and potentially into Gatsby um, specifically. And I want to know if – I'm sure this is a thing that has been – it's funny because this is not something – when we read this in high school, that was not the, the – you know, looking, oh, through, no. looking no. at it through that lens was not something that we would even remotely – Not in 2005 in middle America. And it's funny because we actually did I, – I will say, I mean, just to give my high school English teachers a little bit of credit, we covered stories that included gay characters and talked about mm-hmm. – like, it wasn't like a thing that we never did, but in terms of like – interpreting the classics through like a queer lens was like not yeah. the direction we were going. No, I did not encounter the idea of the the queer lens until college. Right. For sure. And so and and because it's something I read in high school and haven't touched since then, it's not something I've ever revisited and so watching it this time it was really interesting to me. It's not a discussion I've really like, you know, mm-hmm. been a, interested in listening to or hearing anything about. And so in watching the movie this time, it was really interesting to me that it became very like obvious mm-hmm. that that was an interpretation that this movie was trying to get across and whether or not that was an initial interpretation of the novel. So that's kind of why I put this in Lost in Adaptation to see if that is something you think is comes across in the novel, if not, uh, or if, you know, just want to talk about it. So. So such an interesting question. <laughs> <laughs> you can definitely apply a queer lens to this book. And many have. Yeah. I don't think it's inaccurate to say that Nick as a queer man is one of the most popular readings of this text. Yeah. So within the text itself, that reading is usually supported by a couple different things. Uh, Nick's preoccupation with Gatsby specifically. Yeah. Uh, His acute attention to other men. For example, if we think back to the description I th- of Tom, I, I thought of that um, at the time. Yeah. Much more in depth and like focused on his body than any of the descriptions of women were. Yeah, 
and then there's his only explicit romantic interest being Jordan Baker, who is often described in a way that feels masculine adjacent. She also has an androgynous name. And she's a sports. Yes, she's, she's a an, golfer. an athlete. <laughs> like she's, yeah. And a queer reading is often further supported by speculation about Fitzgerald himself, as many over the years have speculated that he may have been a closeted gay or bisexual man. Uh, and Fitzgerald also shares many other similarities with Nick. Okay. But there are multiple ways to interpret this text. You don't have to look at it through a queer lens. Mm -hmm. um, as you can imagine, no one in this 1925 novel explicitly no. <laughs> labels themselves as gay or otherwise. So it is open to interpretation. This movie, I'm not sure you could look at through anything other than it, it a queer It was very lens. apparent to me. Yes, which, which is fine. Um, like I said, that is a popular interpretation, and it's one that I imagine a lot of people were expecting to see in 2013 when they went to the movies. Yeah. Uh, but I do think, like, it's in the book, but I do think that the movie comes down much more firmly on the side of that interpretation than the actual text of the novel does. Which which is something you can do in the movie with mm -hmm. lots of subtle things that wouldn't be textual with cameras, you know, lingering on things, um, specific looks on people's faces that might not be described. And you know what I mean? There's yes. lots of things you can add that aren't necessarily sort of counter textual to the novel, but just add on to it mm -hmm. in a way that doesn't again doesn't violate anything in the text but just sort of um extrapolates in a way that makes that that reading much more apparent yes which it, like i said to me this time seemed very obvious that that was the intent that um, lerman and the filmmaker uh you know the writers and stuff everybody involved yeah. was kind of going for um but i will say it is interesting that they didn't take it to a point where it Again, they never took it to a level where it felt like it sort of violated the not this is probably not the right word, but like to where it um, contradicted anything in the text. We don't no, get don't any sort of so. like, yeah, uh, obviously a textual moments of them like like staring longingly into each other's eyes or like, you know, there's no. There's no moment or like a, the like if we had gotten the hand brush from like like from uh, <laughs> the Pride and Prejudice, the Pride and Prejudice hand, brush. hand brush, like that <laughs> moment. We don't get anything that on like yes. that obvious that that would have made it. But it's it's all stuff that feels. Uh, so I think it's actually kind of well handled in that regard where I don't think you could miss the end. You could. I'm sure you could. I'm sure. I'm sure there are some boomers could. who went yes. and missed that in the in the in the 2013 movie. But I think it would be hard to miss that reading. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not it never the movie never goes to a place where it feels like it's adding necessarily. No, I don't, I don't think the movie the, the really added. I, I think the movie emphasized. Yeah, it, 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 it puts it focuses on certain things yes. and, and lingers on certain things. That and I, I actually not. think like if you've read this book and you just like don't really see the kind of like queer lens. Like if you struggle to view the novel through that lens, yeah. I think you could watch this movie yeah. and be like, Oh, I get it. Now. I get it now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think for sure it, it, it would come across a little bit better. Cause again, it not something that came across to me at all. Reading it in high school came across <laughs> in spades <laughs> watching this movie. So, 
All right, now we're gonna find out what Katie thought was better in the book. You like to read? Oh yes, I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. So this is gonna be a somewhat short segment. I all of my segments are pretty short this time, um, and that's mainly because this is actually a pretty faithful adaptation yeah there are changes of course um but in terms of like the plot and even a lot of the dialogue a lot of this film is actually pretty spot on yeah but i do have a couple things first right off the bat um it's one of some of the first lines in the movie it's also some of the first lines in the book which is nick recalling the advice from his father in the movie, it's something generic about, like, not judging people. Yeah. I, I forgot exactly what it was already because it was so generic. <laughs> I, like, forgot it immediately. Yeah. Uh, but the book's version is whenever you feel like criticizing someone, just remember that all the people in this world haven't had the advantages that you've had, which I feel like... <laughs> real great advice. Is real great advice and also much more thematically relevant yeah. for this book yeah. than some kind of generic, like, never judge people. Don't judge people to... Yeah. You know, absolutely. Uh, it's... Yeah. It, it, it falls... It's a thing that... Uh, it's it's one of my sort of moral, uh, philosophical, yeah. like, and cornerstones it, it is trying is, to acknowledge and remember the moral luck and privilege that different people are... Yeah. And, and lack of luck and privilege yes. that people are born into. And I mean, it basically does boil down to don't judge people. Yes. But it's a much more specific way of looking at that idea of not passing. I mean, it's a very, it's a very progressive. I mean, it's literally just like, check your privilege. Just just check check your your privilege privilege. written by F. Scott Fitzgerald (laughs) in 19, you know, in the 19, whatever, whenever he wrote the 40s or whatever, 30s. When did he write it? I mean, it's set in the 20s. The 20s, yeah, it, he wrote it in the 20s. Oh, I didn't know he wrote it. I thought he wrote it, like, you know, in the 30s or something. No. Uh, but literally, that's just the 1920 version of Check Your Privilege. So it... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I do think that that, like, to me, this is very, like, followable advice. Yeah. Whereas, like, don't judge people is like, I okay. Sure, yeah. But, you know, this is something that you can actually take and, like, would you feel like you are judging someone that you're able to like step back and be like, okay, that person I'm judging them, but maybe they didn't have the access to education that I had. Right. You know, something like that. Yeah. The, the line in the movie is truly terrible in comparison. (laughs) Uh, In my younger and more vulnerable years, my father gave me some advice. Always try to see the best in people. He would say as a consequence, I'm inclined to reserve all judgments, but even I have a limit. Oh, that's so horrible and it's, generic. Yeah. I hate. I don't know why you wouldn't. Why wouldn't you just keep this line? It's a yeah. great line. Yeah. Next thing, at one point, Gatsby in the movie calls Nick Nick, and this shall not be born <laughs> because he never calls him Nick in the oh, book. Does he? I, I maybe I missed an instance, he only calls but him I'm sport. pretty sure he only calls him Old Sport, and it's one of my favorite like interpretations or like little things about the book that people sometimes talk about is the idea that he calls Nick old sport because he can't remember his name and he's too embarrassed to ask. (laughs) That is a good, that's a fun, yeah, that's a fun little, uh, like fanon or whatever. So when he called him Nick in the movie, I was like, no, No. (laughs) he is old sport. sport. Uh, so we meet the character of 
Clip Springer. Yeah. In the movie, who in the movie is Gatsby's like live-in organist. Yeah. I, I guess. A descendant of Mozart, supposedly. Supposedly. Uh, in the book, he's a dude that's basically squatting in Gatsby's mansion, and Gatsby just lets him because he doesn't even care. Sweet. Which I think is interesting. Yeah. So we mentioned Tom and Daisy's daughter earlier and how we don't really see her in the movie until she appears at the very end. Uh, But there is a scene in the book where Gatsby meets their daughter and he just keeps looking at her like he didn't think she was actually real. Mm, And I think it would have been really interesting to see him unnerved by this living representation of Tom and Daisy's relationship. Yeah, I think that could have been really cool, really interesting for sure. So my last thing here, um, the movie gives us a, I mean, it's close. Gatsby, after Gatsby dies at the end, Nick is like the only person who comes to the funeral. Yeah. But in the book, his dad comes. Mm. We meet Gatsby's dad. And I would have really liked to see this because his uh, Nick like manages to get a hold of his family. Yeah. And his dad comes to go to the funeral and he comes in and one of the first thing he thinks he says is where have they got Jimmy? Mm. Yeah. Which that line brings down the entire myth of Jay Gatsby so beautifully and so succinctly. It's chef's kiss Mm -hmm. from here to eternity. And I'm a little mad that we didn't get that in the movie. Yep. I can agree with that. But the movie did some things well, so let's go ahead and find out now what Katie thought was better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. Oh, we talked about um, the scene where they, um, where Nick meets the Wilsons, uh, and then they all go to uh, Tom and Myrtle's affair apartment and they party. I thought that scene was good, mm-hmm. uh, awkward, stressful. Um, this the scene where they're like fucking in the other room and Nick is just sitting <laughs> awkwardly on the couch. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's, yep. <laughs> been there (laughs) um and then like the party uh his sister the other couple just like loud and trashy and awful uh in the book i didn't get the vibe that it was quite as intense as what the movie shows but i liked the heightening of that whole situation yeah um there's a quick line at the first gatsby party that nick goes to uh, said by this guy that Jordan is running around with, who's not in the book. She's just with Nick the entire summer. Yeah. Uh, but he says, poor boys don't marry rich girls to him. And I, I liked that this purported moment from Fitzgerald's life got worked into the story because supposedly that's something that the father of that like heiress that he was dating before oh, yeah. he met Zelda said to him. Uh-huh. That's right. Supposedly, yeah. 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 Um, I do want to point out, though, that Nick isn't exactly poor. No. <laughs> um, he's he's not as rich as Daisy and Tom or Gatsby. No, yeah. So, like, comparatively, sure. <laughs> but his family is funding his life in New York. 
Yeah. Uh, and he lives yeah. in the nice. Yeah, he like he he. I mean, not in a just, great house in no. a nice neighborhood, but but like his family owns a wholesale hardware business. Yeah. And they're described in the text as prominent and well-to-do. Yeah. Like they had money. Yeah. They just had like Midwest money yeah, and like, not East Coast money. Yeah. They were the top ten percent instead of the top one percent. <laughs> I didn't mind that the movie put more emphasis on Gatsby basically being like a gangster, kind of. kind of. Uh, It's a little more subtle in the book, which I think has its own merits, but I thought the movie added a layer of unease to Gatsby's character that I enjoyed. Cool. This is a little thing, um, but when they're driving, when they have the awkward, horrible lunch and they fight and then they drive to the hotel in the city and fight more. Yeah. On the drive there, when they're in the separate cars, Daisy does this like little wave to Tom (laughs) while she's in the car with Gatsby that just really tickled me. (laughs) (laughs) I have this here. I'm not married to having this here. Uh, I had this note because I thought for sure that the movie would not do this, but they actually did have Tom drop the K slur. Yeah. Uh, and now in the book, it's Mrs. McKee, the friend of Myrtle and Catherine, Uh, like that other couple that shows up. Uh, she uses that word in reference to an ex-boyfriend, um, a little bit more on that later. So remember that I mentioned that, but I, I did think it made sense to have Tom say it about, Wolfsheim, since we already know that Tom is an awful racist. Yeah, he just kind of embodies all of the... Yeah, I mean, I still think we could have just maybe done without the slur yeah. altogether. Yeah. But I guess moving it makes sense. Yeah. I was actually, like, pretty floored that the movie kept that in. I thought for sure they would just drop that word. Nah, it didn't but surprise me. I actually have a couple little things that I forgot to put in my notes Uh, I liked that the thing that kind of tips off Wilson, there's an item that tips him off that his wife is having an affair in both the book and the movie. And in the book, it's a dog leash Mm. because Tom gets her that little dog that we see at the apartment. And in the movie, it's a pearl necklace, which I liked because we also know that he gave Daisy a pearl necklace. Mm -hmm. Um, another thing that I liked was that um, we, when we get to see the scene where George is telling her, uh, God sees what you do, um, and then she sees Gatsby's car. Yeah. And she knows that earlier Tom was in that car. Yeah. And that's why she runs out. I kind like I liked giving her that like motivation explicitly mm-hmm. because in the book we don't know. Yeah. Why she runs yeah, out into the street. She just sort of runs out. I mean, to, to get away from George, ostensibly. Yeah. But um, I, I liked giving her that kind of explicit, like, oh, there's that car. I can run out and, and Tom will help me. Right. Yeah, no, it makes sense for sure. So in the movie, we see Tom kind of rat out Gatsby to Wilson. Yeah. He, like, tells him that's who owns the car. Yeah, that's Gatsby's car. Yeah, Gatsby's car. Uh, Somebody ought to make that guy play pay, blah, blah, blah. It's a little on the nose. um, But in the book, we learn, like, much later that it was, in fact, Tom. 
who told who, Wilson, who that, yeah, yeah, who did that. And I thought it made sense to just move that. Just have that yeah, scene just happen. have that scene when it happen. Happens yeah, just have that scene happen um, so we can see it. It makes sense. Yeah. It's all very like succinct. Yeah. I like that. Yep. Makes perfect sense. All right. Now let's go ahead and see what the movie nailed. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. So as I said, this is a fairly faithful adaptation, and those are the kind that I struggle with for the movie Nailed It, because I'm like, should I just put everything in here? No, I don't think that's the answer. Uh, and there's also a lot that we've also already previously discussed in our other segments, so I'm just going to run through a few things that really stuck out to me as we watched the movie not an exhaustive list. Myrtle, Tom's mistress, calling the house during dinner mm-hmm. in that first scene with them. Tom breaking Myrtle's nose yeah. at the end of the party. Wolfsheim wears jewelry made out of a human molar. Yeah. Weird little moment. Very um, strange. It's cufflinks in the book, so the tie the movie changes that to a tie pin. Mm-hmm. But uh, he does have human molar jewelry um that's again like maybe a historical context thing that i'm not yeah i don't know read up on i don't know um at the tea nick accuses gatsby of acting like a little boy and basically shames him into going back in and talking to daisy Mm -hmm. gatsby's iconic line Ah, yes can't repeat the past why of course you can that's the moment. If somebody ever says that, you know something is wrong. Something is terribly wrong in this situation and something bad is going to happen. Yeah. That's the moment you should know. Uh, Gatsby, or not Gatsby, Daisy's line to Gatsby, you always look so cool. And that's somehow the thing that tips yeah. off Tom yeah, that's that the they're thing. having an affair. Uh, Gatsby's other line I haven't used that pool once all summer, mm-hmm. which is a line that I love because if you haven't read the book, it's foreshadowing. Yeah. But if you have read the book, it just becomes dramatic irony. Yep. Um, and then this is a line from Nick's voiceover in the movie. They were careless people, Tom and Daisy. They smashed up things and people and then retreated back into their money and their vast carelessness, Mm -hmm. which is another line that I love. I think it's just a very succinct breakdown of how wealthy people tend to operate. Yeah. Destroy everything in their path and then retreat back into their money. Yeah, I I had a note about that and how that's very clearly sort of what the, um, the Valley of Ashes sort of represents. It's that the wasteland mm-hmm. of filled with like laborers like yeah uh, uh, yeah you know um and the working class that separates and allows the and makes both lifestyles possible yes and makes their lifestyles possible and how it's that working class that always ends up being the victim you know it's myrtle who's mm-hmm. you know uh, the wife of a a, a mechanic and how it's, it's it's they're the ones who always end up paying you know, end up be suffering the fallout of the sort of the mistakes and the and everything and all of the uh, like like that line said, um, just all of the, uh, the how they smash things and people and retreat back into their money and their vast carelessness. It's again, it's not subtle. The the Valley of Ashes and and the fact that everybody we see there is like covered in, it's like the it could be on like a, a 
uh, a USSR poster of like a yeah <laughs> of like a the word the proletariat or a hero. production of Oliver Twist. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's it's not subtle, but it is really effective mm-hmm. um, and gets its point across beautifully. And that line is is one of those that again a little on the nose, kind of just puts it out there, but it, it does it is it's good stuff. All right, we've got a few odds and ends before we get to the final verdict. So the Art Deco, it op- this movie opens, the opening credits, we get these gold lines, and it's like, you know, just punching you in the face with the Art Deco. And it's a very obvious choice, mm-hmm. but I think it still works. Yeah, totally. Uh, and it's a very um, effective look for the film. And it uh, gets across the opulence and all that sort of stuff while still looking really neat. <laughs> so that was a smart choice, if not the easy, obvious choice. The scene where we first meet Daisy and Jordan. Really something. Yeah. Wait, which scene is this? When he walks into the room and the curtains are all blowing oh, everywhere. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I I stuck that here because I really struggled with where to put it. Because it's, it's not dissimilar to what happens in the book. Oh, yeah. I think the movie kind of, for me, took it over the edge in a not-so-great way when they're, like, giggling and you oh, can just very see, sapphic. like, their fingers yes. touching. It, yes, there's very much the movie, again, is implying some canoodling there that is yes um not never seen necessarily we walked through a high hallway into a bright rosy colored space fragilely bound into the house by french windows at either end the windows were ajar and gleaming white against the fresh grass outside that seemed to grow a little way into the house a breeze blew through the room blew curtains in at one end and out the other like pale flags twisting them upward toward the frosted wedding cake of the ceiling and then rippled over the wine-colored rug, making a shadow on it as the wind does on the sea. The only completely stationary object in the room was an enormous couch on which two young women were buoyed up as though upon an anchored balloon. They were both in white and their dresses were rippling and fluttering as if they had just been blown back in after a short flight around the house. Yeah. So, like, visually, visually, we're not far very, off. Very, very similar. But there's definitely, with the sound mixing and yeah. the, the close-ups, it's definitely evoking an erotic scene. Yeah. Um, But it never, you know, there's no payoff. There's no, like, right, confirmation. Right, that never goes there's anywhere. No, no. There's no, like, further hint it, that there's yeah. anything between them. Yeah. That I picked up Not, on. I, I also didn't. And I usually pick up on that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought similarly that it didn't seem like beyond that yeah, scene it that it seemed really went anywhere else. Yeah, it seemed very, like, um, male gazy to me. I mean, I guess like, I could say, you could say that it's male gazy in a way that's, like, completely non it's gazy, like, like there's it's you don't like, see anything. <laughs> it's but it's it's male gazy in like an artsy way. Yeah, yeah, I don't disagree with that. Yeah, because there's no payoff at all. Yeah, it's just this one random scene where they're like giggling and lacing their fingers together. Yeah, it's the suggestion of the male gaze. <laughs> it's. <laughs> 
It's only the male gaze if it comes from the <laughs> male gaze region of France. Otherwise, it's just sparkling misogyny. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I get what you're saying. 100%. 100%. It's like if male gaze, it's like if there were a LaCroix yeah, flavor that's kind of, what of I was going, the yeah. male gaze. <laughs> LaCroix male gaze. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That would be a terrible flavor. They should not an awful flavor. They should not come out with that. It would smell, or it would taste how a strip club smells. And if you've ever been to a strip club, you know how that smells. So, (laughs) yep. Good Lord, the frenetic pace of the editing during Nick's flashback at the beginning was giving me a headache, like, right away. Luckily... It calmed down. Mm. And the movie sort of calmed down a bit. But that opening, the just the speed and manner in which Nick's flashback was edited was like a, a, a bad music video. And I was not on board with it. And like I said, luckily it kind of evens out and the rest mm-hmm. of the movie didn't have, didn't keep up that frenetic pace. But I was worried upon that first scene with the flashback uh, uh, to his story, I was like, oh, the, uh, if the whole movie does this, I'm going to have to tap out. <laughs> but it didn't. There were actually a lot of visual choices in this movie that I didn't particularly care for. Um, to me, it often felt kind of similar to Moulin Rouge. I haven't seen I've seen Moulin Rouge once when I was like we were like kind of we were kind of comparing it to Romeo and Juliet earlier but I feel like Moulin Rouge is the more apt I'm sure it is comparison I'm sure it is and those similarities to me I I felt like made it feel kind of cheap and done yeah like we've already seen this yeah pause come on like the party scene with Myrtle and Tom and her sister like I liked that scene I enjoyed it but it also felt kind of reminiscent of the scene in Moulin Rouge where Ewan McGregor's character drinks absinthe for the first time. Yeah. Like, and that was something that I noticed throughout. Yeah. Like, and, and there are a lot of similarities between the stories and, like, thematically, and I get that. But, like, I felt like we weren't really treading new territory visually here. Yeah. And, I, I mean, I will say, I will defend at least the sense of, like, you know, style directors have styles they have sort of visual shorthands that they tend to use yes and so i don't think you necessarily have to innovate a a new visual style every time you're making a a new movie if i thought that i I couldn't be the fan of edgar wright that i am because his movies he innovates a lot from each movie i mean and and you know like scott pilgrim looks nothing like some of his other movies and that sort of thing but a lot, you know, a lot of his movies use a lot of similar visual motifs and things throughout uh, in a way that is definitely repetitive. But it becomes, a, again, more of a motif as opposed to like a, a, a worn out sort of done thing. I guess for me, like <sighs> Romeo and Juliet and Moulin Rouge are visually distinctive from each other enough i feel like yeah that the similarities between this and moulin rouge became heightened for me okay that's interesting it's tough for me because i haven't seen if i saw it i saw it once in like middle school or high school or whatever but i don't remember anything about it so it's tough for me to kind of compare them we're gonna watch that sometime i love that movie okay (laughs) i think i've seen it but I don't remember anything about it. I think it's when I saw in high school and then yeah. uh, not since ever again. So, 
I really love Rhapsody in Blue, even though it's a super obvious music choice for this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's a great, it's a classic love, for a reason. I love that. It's a standard for a reason. Yeah. Speaking of the music, the modern music, I mentioned this earlier, but I get the modern music, but I wish they hadn't. I wish they had, if what I wish they had done, if anything, was, I think, is just take standards and like remix them. Like mm-hmm. they kind of did with Rhapsody in Blue, mm-hmm. like take just take period standards, like period hits and sort of like redo them in a, in an interesting way, I think would have been better. But like there's a whole scene where it's, uh, it's I can't even remember what Jay-Z song it is, but it's just a Jay-Z song plays for yeah. like. I, I get it. I, I didn't I, found it, I didn't mind it as much know. as you seemed to. Um, but, but it's interesting, too, because I feel like what you're describing is then the opposite of the music in Moulin Rouge, which is modern music, like kind of restylized to fit more into yeah. like the Which French... that's interesting. Yeah. See, that's interesting. I like the idea of that. And I guess what I, yeah, to me, what I thought would have been interesting is take period songs mm-hmm. and restylize them. Yeah, that could have been interesting. As opposed to, because I get, I get why, I get why they did it again. It's like the the one place where they're kind of or one of the places where where they're kind of trying to like modernize the story and mm-hmm. make it connect with a modern audience is by giving us like these big bombastic pop right. songs. Well, and I think too it might have helped if, and I would have to go back and look at what the soundtrack is even to remember, but like done more commentary with the music like drawing parallels between like the 1920s and like the kind of like like our modern society i think they tried to yeah i think they tried to i don't know that it quite works out the way they wanted it to because like for me yeah because i'm you know i was thinking of another show that the used that did us an interest that used modern music but i thought worked really well and it was a tv show i know some people didn't like it but i liked it was um bridgerton bridgerton yeah uh, which took modern pop songs and And recontextualized them similar to like moulin rouge Mm -hmm. as you're saying i yeah i like contextualized them as like symphony pieces Mm -hmm. or whatever um which which i thought worked really well and i thought was interesting and I thought if they'd either done, I guess he didn't want to do that again. Didn't want to take pop songs right. and re, cause yeah. retextualize them as like 1920s, like swing, you know, like big band numbers. But I thought that would have worked better. Again, I guess the idea is that I already did that. Right. We already did that in Moulin Rouge. But like, I think that would have been better or take old standards and update them somehow. Maybe the, the concern one of the two. that was that like nobody knows enough music from that time. I period. think there's enough and you could cheat. You don't have to actually do the twenties. You just have to do anything from that era of like yeah. anything pre 1950. Any, that's like yeah, a any kind big of like band, jazz, jazz big band. Yeah. Blues, that's fair. Anything like that. It doesn't matter. I mean, cause the, like we talked about with the um, costuming and the wardrobe, they didn't stick to right. the specific you know, year or two that the movie is set, they stretched all the way into like the thirties and stuff like, so I think you could do that musically and it wouldn't really matter other than annoy some, you know, music pedants. I will say, I think it's too bad that take me to church came out in 2014 because this movie was screaming for that, that song. Yeah, for sure. I will say when we didn't get contextual or when we didn't get like, 
pop songs. Mm-hmm. The, uh, they're, they're specifically the scene where um, Daisy and Gatsby, like, have their reunion. Uh, in It's in the, the, the tea yeah. scene. But, like, when he walks in and they see each other and they spend... It sits there forever, and I really thought the score was really perfect for that moment, and the weight of the scene and how long they spend on it. Everything about that felt, like, appropriately heavy, and I don't know. I thought that that moment was, like, masterfully handled, um, and I really liked the score in that moment. And again, it's not; it's just sort of, like, actual film score. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not, not like, a contemporary song or anything like that. Um, but I, I really enjoyed that, uh, that moment in the movie. Glad to see you again. I'm certainly glad to see you as well. All right, so on a more serious (laughs) note, I do want to take some time to talk about this novel and race. Yes. Now, like I said earlier, I like personally, I wouldn't say that race is a main focus of this text. Mm -hmm. Like not like classes. No. But it does come up. Yeah. Uh, So first off, let's talk about the character of Wolfsheim. Mm -hmm. Think I'm saying his name correctly. Wolfsheim, Wolfsheim. Wolfsheim. So this came up in our prequel episode, but the text's descriptions of this character have garnered accusations of anti-Semitism. Yeah. And now having reread the text, yeah, it's not great. <laughs> it's not it's not great. Uh, he's described as a small, flat-nosed Jew with tiny eyes and two fine growths of hair in his oh, nostrils. Yep, that's about as... Stereotypical as you get. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of focus on his nose. So, yeah, pretty stereotypical. Uh, aside from Wolfsheim, we also have the character that I mentioned earlier who unfavorably compares George Wilson to a man that that character describes as mm. the Kessler. So... Even though I knew those descriptions of Wolfsheim were coming, it was kind of jarring to see them in an otherwise kind of progressive text. I think I, I, I don't know how much of it is intentional, and it, it seems like a, lot, a fair amount of it is, but it's it's very easy to get a fairly progressive reading yeah. from the, the movie, from the book. Uh, I, I'm saying in reference to the movie, I haven't read the book in... 20 years or whatever but um you you, i think it's very easy to get a fairly progressive reading out of it it has a lot to say about class it Mm -hmm. has and 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 it's it it has stuff to say about race and you know our villains are racist and like it yeah there's some not so subtle progressive elements of the story and overall it seems to be a very um clash class conscious Mm -hmm. sort of um analysis and uh deconstruction of wealth and 
the again the the sham that is the american dream so like yeah. it, it, in that regard it's very quote-unquote woke <laughs> as far as those descriptions of wolfsheim go i do think it's a symptom of the time period yeah i mean you always have to be con- consider now, that at least i i don't think that time period should be used to excuse that kind of thing but i do think it's important to remember that when you're reading an older novel or any older source like this, you aren't just reading a work of fiction. You're also reading a historical text. Yeah. And used properly, that can open a window to the past as well as start a conversation about how race and popular culture has changed over the past century, how it hasn't changed, and what work we still need to do. Point being... When you're reading an older text, you're basically guaranteed to come across outdated perspectives and language, Mm -hmm. whether that's in regard to race or myriad other issues. Absolutely. And quite frankly, I just think that saying, well, it was just the time period or saying this is problematic and then never talking about it are equally useless responses. Yeah, absolutely. Like okay. I, 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 neither of those accomplish anything. So no, yeah, they both just kind of like meh, hand wave it away. Yeah. So to that end, let's discuss how the more current piece of media handled this aspect of the story. So the movie cast Amitabh Bachin. Bachin. <laughs> if I looked it up, Buchin. Maybe Buchin. it was Buchin. 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 I also looked, I looked it up, it up and again and now and I wrote down I always write down these mnemonics and then I forget what I meant by the mnemonic. Anyway, so they cast him as Wolfsheim, which is interesting. Yeah, I because was gonna mention this, yeah. He's an Indian, he's Indian actor. Yeah. And as far as as far as I could find, not Jewish at all. Yeah. And to me, that feels like an attempt by the movie to sidestep the issue of Wolfsheim being a racial stereotype. Yeah. So, like, to my mind, they handled it by not handling it at all, which is not a solution. Yeah. And, like, I am glad that we didn't have to hear Toby Maguire narrate anything about Wolfsheim's nose, but to me, this feels like, one, avoiding the issue rather than addressing it, and, two reeking of a casting problem that Hollywood is notorious for, which is treating people of color like they're interchangeable. Yeah. Yeah. And just being like, well, it's it's different, different, different ethnic, different minority group. Yeah. (laughs) Swap them in there. And, you know, I think that the solution. First off, hire a Jewish actor. Yeah. Like, you know, I. Maybe somebody who has experience doing period pieces. Yeah. Make sure you have at least one Jewish person on your writing team. Yeah. And then I, I think what they could have done, and I'm just spitballing here, and I'm not a screenwriter, but I think maybe what they could have done was just play the character a little differently. Like maybe do like a... Like, he comes off as, like, a a fatherly type of figure, but then there's, like, this kind of aura of menace because he's still, like, a gangster, kind of. Yeah. I don't know. I think they could have done something more interesting with it, 
to like address that issue but also i don't know just like not avoid it (laughs) yeah i definitely think there was a way to handle it that would have been um better better for sure just kind of ignored it as it was so another aspect of this novel that didn't make it in the end of the movie is the potential to read both or either gatsby or daisy as multiracial but white passing. Hmm. So in my opinion, the actual text of the novel better supports this reading for Daisy. There's an odd moment near the beginning of the novel when Tom is talking about white people being the master race. Uh, Civilizations going to pieces broke out Tom violently. I've gotten to be a terrible pessimist about things. Have you read The Rise of the Colored Empires by this man Goddard? Why no, I answered, rather surprised by his tone. Well, it's a fine book and everybody ought to read it. The idea is that if we don't look out, the white race will be will be utterly submerged. It's all scientific stuff. It's been proven. That, 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 that all was verbatim. Yeah, from that the was movie. all from the movie. Um, and then Tom go uh, blah, blah, blah. They have a little conversation. The idea is, this is Tom again. The idea is that we're Nordics. I am, and you are, and you are. And after an infit... Oh, that word. Infitis- infitesimal? Infinitesimal. Infinitesimal. Mm-hmm. After an infinitesimal hesitation... He included Daisy with a slight nod, and she winked at me again. So there's this kind of odd moment where he, like, points to everybody in the room and identifies them as being, like, of the Nordic race and then hesitates when he gets to Daisy. Wait, read it one more time. The idea is that we're Nordics. I am, and you are, and you are, and after and. Hesitation. Oh, an infinitesimal hesitation. Yeah. Okay. He included Daisy with a slight with a slight nod. Interesting. Okay. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then when I he I wonder if he does that in the movie. No, I don't think so. Okay. I didn't I'm I, pretty, I didn't pretty know to sure look out for that. Because so. I was looking for it, but okay. I don't think they included that. Um and then Which would make the sense because in the part that I read earlier where he's slippery sloping about yeah interracial marriage um uh, next thing they'll throw everything overboard and have intermarriage between black and white flushed with his impassioned gibberish he saw himself standing alone on the last barrier of civilization we're all white here murmured jordan so there are two like kind of to me odd moments where i feel like you could read into those. I mean, that first one for sure. Yeah. Feel, I mean, it, it's, yeah, I you would ha- almost have to read into that something. And contrary to your memory, Daisy is also canonically described as having dark hair. I'm sure I just attached it to the movie. Yeah. Well, I, every single film adaptation of this novel has yeah. cast her as a blonde woman, but she is, on multiple occasions, her hair is described as dark. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Um... I'm. It's interesting. I don't know thematically what Daisy being multiracial would add to the story. I always say would add to the story. I guess thematically what what the point not would add, but what the point Gatsby mm-hmm. would be going for with Daisy not be you know being multiracial um, would be. 
I've thought about this a little bit more since we recorded the episode, and I think one of these sort of obvious thematic lenses you could use, or one of the obvious sort of thematic through lines you could use if Daisy was biracial in the film would be because she is fetishized so much by both Tom and Gatsby. I think tying that into the fetishization of women of color makes a lot of sense, and also the commodification of women of color's bodies and that sort of thing is a very obvious and uh, could be a very powerful sort of thematic direction to take that read of Daisy's character. Uh, and I would be really interested to see that as well. The, the next point, Gatsby, I can see. Yeah. Like, I can see where it would be going if you want well, to talk about that. But. Both of, like, a reading for each character exists. Yeah. Um, and the reading for Daisy exists because of those couple of things right. that I just listed. Yeah. The reading of Gatsby as potentially multiracial is a little more metaphorical, um, fits a little better thematically. The idea that he could be black, but like white passing doesn't have any little breadcrumbs in the text like it does for Daisy, at least not that I picked up on. But it does go hand in hand with the idea of him being a working class person trying to claw his way into upper society. Yeah. You could read those things as being like simultaneous alongside each other. Or I think you could read the more explicit class struggle as like a metaphor for race, it's like a metaphor for a metaphor. Yeah. I also think there's really interesting implications. If you read Gatsby as, which obviously in the movie it's Leonardo DiCaprio, right. so whatever, but yeah, the movie did not lean into this particular reading either of, of the them, text. No. Um, and cause yeah, it's Carrie Mulligan is, is Daisy. Um, it was both about as white as you could get, I think for both of those people, <laughs> <laughs> I think, Pretty um, white. but, uh, I do think the enter the reading of Gatsby as multiracial is really interesting, especially with it within the story as it plays out, because I think you would have to tweak a few things. If you were to do an adaptation of the novel, I think you might have to tweak a couple things to make it really work. But the idea, you know, like you said of Gatsby, um, sort of clawing his way, uh, into upper society and how, you know, uh, again, the class struggle being meta metaphorical for representing the race struggle mm -hmm. that, that, um, people of color in America have dealt with forever, um, and continue to, I think there's an interesting, sort of dynamic with Gatsby as multiracial is that ultimately him then uh, achieving that dream, but then being murdered by another working class white guy mm -hmm. uh, upon having achieved those dreams and being turned against he's George is turned against Gatsby by Tom, by the old money, by, by the literal, you know, the, the wealthy elite 1% white, yeah, uh, moneyed um, the bourgeois or whatever. And I, the idea that it's Tom that turns George against Gatsby. Yeah. Who is also Gatsby at this point is very wealthy, but, you know, it was working class, came from working class roots. Um, and then it being a another working class guy, a white working class guy. I think it, it, it speaks very obviously and directly to the um the the class warfare that <laughs> that the the upper like that that the um the wealthy elites in the US and around the world stoke within 
within classes is mm-hmm. stoking that racial. Yes. The racial. Yes. Um, what is the word? I'm blanking on the racial animus uh, within the, the the middle class, within the lower anybody that is not part of the bourgeoisie, stoking that that racial animus and, and resentment. Um, and then that being the thing that, you know, it is a, a white working class guy that murders Gatsby, I think lends itself really directly and interestingly to a, a retelling of the story mm-hmm. that could do lots of interesting things with that, I feel like. I totally agree. And it's in the public domain now, so get on it. Yeah. I think, you, like I said, I think you would have to tweak some things um, to make it work. Yeah. But I do think it's there for the, the tweaking. And <laughs> I think that's a really compelling potential like story like a comp- compelling retelling of it hmm i like that anyways uh cool all right uh it's time now for katie's final verdict now uh, are you ready for your sentence sentence but there must be a verdict first sentence first verdict afterwards this is not a difficult decision for me to make but I do think it's going to be tricky to put into words, so bear with me. I'm picking the book. The reason why is a little difficult for me to put my finger on. Like I said, this is a pretty faithful adaptation. All the plot beats are there, a lot of the novel's lines are included verbatim, and what changes were made are, for the most part, pretty small. And like we've discussed, a lot of them aren't even really changes so much as decisions to play up elements that were more subtle in the book. Mm -hmm. For me, The Great Gatsby, the novel, has two main points of value. One is its critique of class in America, which you know I love. Mm -hmm. And the other is its portrayal of a time period that Americans have spent the last century mythologizing. Yeah. Not that we don't do that to every decade. Yeah. (laughs) But to me, the 20s feel especially gilded by history. And I think that might be because we tend not to cover them in history classes. Not as We just kind of skip from World War II to like the stock market crash. You mean World War I? Yeah, World War I to the stock market crash. Um, Yeah, kind of. For sure. Pretty much everything that we know about the 20s comes to us via pop culture. Yeah. I feel similarly about the 50s. Yeah. But that's a whole other thing. Anyway, I think the movie did an okay job addressing the class critique, but it's so baked into the story that I don't know how you could leave it behind. It's it's literally the story. You can't do it without doing it. Yeah. But the movie's portrayal of the 20s feels to me like that more mythologized version that I'm used to getting from pop culture. Like, it's not the 1920s. It's 2013 does the 1920s. Yeah. And I wouldn't necessarily take issue with that in every piece of media. I I mean, I don't take issue with that kind of thing in every piece of media. Like, I love Chicago, the musical, and that's also the modern era does the 1920s. Right. But... Since the time period is so much like its own character in this story, I personally just prefer to get that from a primary source. Mm -hmm. The other issue here is that if the movie had to do that, like if it had to do that grand mythologized version, 
I think it could have done something more with that take on the decade. Yeah. I think it could have peeled back the gilding a little more or brought it all down just a little harder. I just don't think that aspect of the story was well handled. And for me, it ended up feeling off. Like the vibes were off. So for those reasons, I'm giving this one to the book. Fantastic. I do like just as you were talking there, just to tack on really quickly. I do think it would have been really interesting to take because like one of the things we see in that that nightclub that I talked about is uh, like the all of the the singing girls are they're all they're all black women, women mm-hmm. of color. And I think and a lot of the people working and hanging out in the bar are. And I, I, I think the movie does the very surface level. Tom is is racist, like overtly like. <laughs> super racist yeah. like we are the master race he is the no racist race character mixing. i think it would have been really interesting to then at, to, to give us that glamorized version where like everybody's just hanging out and partying and like all the black people and white people in the clubs are all hanging out and partying together but then show us that but then peel that back and maybe mm-hmm. show that it's not quite so simple as just like because that that does that did feel and maybe you know i'm sure there there are plenty of places in new york where um people were hanging out in a completely desegregated way and getting along just fine. And I'm not saying that's not the case, but I think there's definitely, uh, or, or even applying, you know, like our Daisy and, and Gatsby and Nick all like kind of like roll their eyes at, at Tom's sort of overt racism, but maybe f- giving us something uh, critiquing them yeah, more for mm-hmm. like their sort of in, um, less overt obvious racism like finding a way to work that into the story again sort of peeling back the sheen on um the rose colored glasses that we look at previous time periods through it would have been interesting to do a little bit more of that i think yeah i agree so cool all right before we get to tell you what's next we want to do you or we want to remind you that you can do us a giant favor by heading over to patreon.com slash this film is lit support us there for two five or fifteen bucks a month get access to different things at each level uh you can also follow us on social media facebook twitter instagram uh we also have a goodreads uh you can follow us on all those platforms and and keep track of what we're up to and get posts and teases and all that sort of good stuff uh but i think that's it katie what's next up next, we are kicking off spooky season officially. officially, and we will be talking about a horror classic. The horror classic, you might argue. Psycho. One of the horror classics, for Women. sure. <laughs> That's all right. Psycho, I uh, should be fun. Um, I knew it was based on a book, but I've never read the book. I've seen the movie a couple times, but I don't. It's been a long time. I saw it once very young, and then I saw it once again in like college. But I, it's been since college since I've seen it. I am actually very excited because not only have I never seen this movie, really, I actually know nothing about it except for the shower scene. That's fantastic. I don't know. You will be very surprised. I don't know what happens after that. I don't know what the plot is. You're, I don't know what the point is. I have no idea. That's really interesting. I'm now. I'm really interested to see. Oh gosh, because especially if it's different from the book, yeah, that could be wild. That the maybe the book goes one direction and then, huh? This should be fun. Um, oh, and by the way, we're doing the twenty two thousand seven remake starring. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> What is that? What year? I don't even know what year that was. Know. They did a shot for shot remake with uh, uh, the guy from old school. What's the? Uh, oh, my gosh. What is I don't his... think I even knew they remade it. Uh, yeah. And it's like one of the most notoriously hated remakes. Um, oh, what is? 
Vince Vaughn. Oh. They made yeah, Psycho Vince Vaughn. Nineteen ninety eight. No wonder I couldn't find it. I was googling two thousand seven. Plays Norman Bates, but it's apparently it's just like it's Gus Van Zant, Van Zant uh, who directed it. But it's supposedly, and I I don't I didn't look to to see for sure. But it's essentially like from what I remember, it's like shot for shot. It's just Psycho, mm. but done today, <laughs> like done in nineteen ninety eight. It's very strange. Okay, alrighty. Yeah. Well, yeah, we will be talking about. Uh, not that one. No, I'm talking about the the original, the 1960 or 67 or whatever year it was. That's Hitchcock, right? Yes, it's Hitchcock. Yeah. Yes, uh, is 67, 60. Oh my gosh, 60, 1960, Hitchcock. There cool. you go. It'd be like our third Hitchcock film. Yeah, I think at least second, if not third. Yeah, we've done two other Hitchcock yeah. films. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we did the Birds and Rear Window. Rear Window. So there you go. Be a third Hitchcock, and that'll be a lot of fun in two weeks' time. But in one week's time, you can come back and uh, learn a little bit more about Psycho as well as some other stuff. Get some feedback on The Great Gatsby, see what everybody else had to say about the film and uh, the book and all that good stuff. Until that time, guys, gals, non-binary pals, everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And and keep keep being awesome. awesome.